Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be uh, already into the Advent season, and I just want to thank everybody who helped with the Christmas walk on Friday when we had uh, most of New Providence on our property uh, with the live nativity and all the rest, the decorations and the refreshments. It's a great way for us to put our best foot forward, and I appreciate all the work that everybody put into that, so thank you. So we're right into the Advent season. I'm excited. We're beginning a new message series called Finding Christ in a Christmas Carol which I hope is going to give us a fresh look at a very familiar story about the birth of Christ. And I do want to say that some of the material in the series is not my own, but comes from a friend, Doug Hoagland, who's the senior pastor of the Woodside Presbyterian Church in the Philadelphia area, and I just wanted to give Doug attribution this morning. You know, Christmas stories should begin with a crackling fireplace, the scent of fresh-cut pine trees, and marshmallows floating in hot chocolate. There should be joy and jingle bells and maybe a little baby Jesus there too. But there's always this sense of expectation, of anticipation as we go into the Advent season. It's sort of like those very familiar words of Clement Clark Moore who wrote, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." A lot of people think that's what Christmas is all about, the sense of joyful expectation. Yet one of the most famous Christmas stories outside the Bible doesn't begin with a candle's glow, but with a grave. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about it. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. How can this be a Christmas story? It begins with a funeral, turns into a ghost story. It seems more fitting than for Halloween rather than Christmas. Nevertheless, these ghoulish lines open the scene of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and next to the Gospels, it is the most famous Christmas story, the most widely read, the most often depicted on stage or screen. This little novel only took him six weeks to write, first appeared in print on December 19, 1843, and despite its dark and sort of morbid tone, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge has become not just an instant success for Dickens, but also a Christmas classic. There have been over 150 different movies and TV shows based on Dickens' story. Just about everybody has done their version of A Christmas Carol. Children's characters, Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, The Muppets, Fred Flintstone, Mr. Magoo, Sesame Street, and many, many more all did their versions of A Christmas Carol. Fans of the feature film uh, often debate who's the better Scrooge. Is it George C. Scott or Patrick Stewart or is it... Uh, uh, Jim Carrey, or even Bill Murray, who did his own version where he gets chased by ghosts in his adaptation called Scrooged. A Christmas Carol didn't start out as a Christmas tale for all the ages. Charles Dickens had waged a lifelong battle to halt the abuse of children and the poor during the Industrial Age in England during the early 1800s. And it was personal for him, because as a child, his family lost everything when his father was thrown into debtor's prison. So he knew deprivation, he knew this kind of humiliation personally from, from his own experience. And so then as an author, he tried to use the power of the pen to force the wealthy Victorians to see the plight of the poor, the uneducated, and those who are in prison. His novels pushed people to confront the injustices of his day and the cold-heartedness of the established church that too often sided with the privileged and abandoned the poor to suffer. Dickens challenged his fellow Christians to do something remarkable, to actually live out the teachings of Jesus about caring for the poor and the widows and the orphans and the disadvantaged, about loving one's neighbor. 
His Christian sense of compassion was one of the things that motivated his writing. Dickens once wrote, I have always striven in my writings to express veneration for the life and lessons of my Savior. Now, he didn't write explicitly Christian tales that read like evangelistic tracts. Dickens realized that the best way he could kind of ignite a revolution of compassion was not through speeches and pamphlets that could easily be ignored, but through compelling stories that would work their way into a person's heart. So he wrote over 20 novels, many of which have become classics of English literature, Oliver Twist and Great Expectations, just to name two. He brilliantly dissected the smug society of his day and exposed the cruel underbelly of his time. And friends, all of those lessons still apply to us today. In a devotional book about a Christmas carol, Bob Welch writes, Charles Dickens did not write a Christmas carol simply to entertain us as readers. Dickens wanted to make us uncomfortable because it's only after we get a touch uneasy with ourselves that we're open to change. Dickens wants us as individuals to confront our own ghosts. He wants us to feel the chill of regret and, if necessary, like Scrooge, to make the changes in how we live. That's just what we hope to do this Advent season as we use this fable to guide our Sunday messages. Now, we may not like this, the way Dickens uses his story to kind of as a mirror to our hearts. We may not want to see the Scrooge in us. I know I don't. I'd much rather picture myself as a George Bailey-type character from that other great movie, A Wonderful Life. Remember, George Bailey is this likable, long-suffering guy, makes a lot of personal sacrifices because of his commitment to his family and his friends and his community. But then he struggles with his own sense of self-worth, feels like maybe his whole life has been in vain, and gets a little help from his angel friend Clarence to show him the positive impact of his life. I would much rather identify with that story. Yet believe it or not, we might actually be more like old Scrooge than we want to admit. Haunted by ghosts of the past and present and future. In case you don't know the story of A Christmas Carol, let me tell it to you very briefly. It's pretty easy. Ebenezer Scrooge is this miserly moneylender, sits in his bone-chilling cold office on Christmas Eve because he's too cheap to put even on one more piece of coal on the fire. Scrooge is, and Dickens describes it in this way, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. Scrooge is closed to the world tighter than an oyster is clutching its only pearl. And he lashes out against anybody who promotes the idea of Christmas joy. Chastises his nephew friend, Fred who stops by to invite this miserly old misfit to family Christmas celebration. He berates his employee, um, Bob Cratchit, who has the nerve to ask for a whole day off to be with his family on Christmas. Totally humiliates these two men who stop by Scrooge's office seeking donations for the poor with his famous heartless rebuke. Do you remember it? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Those who are badly off must go there. And if they would rather die, they had better do it quickly and decrease the surplus population. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. And to all who display Christmas joy, he offered those infamous words, say them with me, Bah humbug. Now that's harsh. That's why the name of Scrooge has become synonymous with a cruel, hard-hearted person. Scrooge is not just closed, he's also blind. He's blind to what he's doing to himself, 
but also blind to what his money-clutching lifestyle is doing to those who cross his path. But on this Christmas Eve, he's about to find out as four ghosts will hold up a mirror to his life, and he'll see the unvarnished truth about himself. It will literally scare the hell out of him and make him heaven-bound. And it's the best Christmas he's ever had. So while slurping his gruel in his bedroom, locked away, Scrooge sees the last person he would ever expect to see, Jacob Marley, his old partner who had died seven years ago. Actually, Scrooge sees right through him because it's Marley's ghost, and Scrooge can't ignore that Marley is wrapped in this heavy chain. Dickens writes, the chain he drew was clasped around his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes and keys and padlocks and ledgers and deeds and heavy purses wrought in steel. Marley is eternally bound and burdened by the things that he worshipped in this life. He made his own prison of greed and selfishness link by link and then willingly locked himself in. I wear the chain I forged in life, says the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Of course, Scrooge is terrified of Marley as he clanks around the bedroom. Then Marley lowers the boom. He points a bony finger at Scrooge and says that Scrooge has spent the last seven years forging a chain that's going to be even longer than Marley's, and that Scrooge is destined to drag this burden through eternity if he does not change. Well, think about that phrase with me for a moment. Link by link, we each forge the chain we wear in life, in this life. Our decisions, our actions, our history, what is it that we're carrying? Is there a chain that you're dragging around, a a custom-made, handcrafted, personal prison? For some, it could be an obsession with money like Scrooge, either lavishly spending or, or stingily hoarding. But there could be many other links that kind of bind us, fear and worry, anxiety, sarcasm, bitterness, rage, resentment, envy, lust, greed, self-pity. There are so many things that we could forge into a chain that actually binds us, a chain constructed of so many links we may find it hard to become untangled. The good news of the gospel is that it's not God's will for you to live that way. It's not God's desire for people to be all tangled up in the chains of life. Paul told the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's Galatians 5 verse 1. Christ wants to set people free. He doesn't want anyone to be tied up in the chains, even chains of their own making. In his first public sermon, Jesus quotes these words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke 4:18. That's why Jesus came. I mean, that's why there's Christmas. That's why Jesus was born in a manger and grew up among his people, so folks like you and I could experience the grace of God that breaks the chains of the past. Grace sets people free. Grace delivers people from bondage, from any spirit of Scrooge that might have taken hold in your heart or mine. I've been trying to think about what person in the Bible most reflects the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, and I settled on the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Let me read it for you. It's pretty short. 
Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, and I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God for his word. We're only told a couple of things about Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector, he's very wealthy, and he's short. Tax collecting was like his ticket to power. You know, our tax burden is nothing compared to what the Jews endured in the first century. There was income tax, import, export tax, crop taxes, sales taxes, property taxes, emergency taxes, toll taxes, on and on and on. And that money did not go to a government elected by the people did not pay for their schools or their road repairs. It went to their enemy. It went to the Romans, the ones who conquered them and harassed them each and every day. Plus, the tax system was just a big pyramid scheme. Collect enough money to pay the guy above you, and you could keep all the rest for yourself. So with every person at every level getting rich off the system, you can just imagine the burden on the people at the bottom. And the tax collectors, they were all Jews themselves, they were the richest people in their communities, and so they were scorned as traitors and collaborators. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. The whole district of Jericho was under his domain, and so everybody feared him, everybody obeyed him, everybody hated him. You get the sense that maybe, like Scrooge, Zacchaeus used his money and his position to protect himself against the cruelness of the world. And Scrooge, like Scrooge, he probably had a lot of shady deals, cut a lot of corners, stepped over, stepped on a lot of people to get what he wanted. Power like that becomes a narcotic. But also like Scrooge, Zacchaeus had his chains. You work more, but enjoy it less. You want more, but you never have enough. You always compare up because then you're always dissatisfied with what you have and think of yourself as being less. And the thing you pursue, whether it's money or status or recognition, you think that that will make your future more secure, but then you're constantly worrying that you're going to lose it. When anything, a person, a possession, a position, when anything like that becomes your master, it demands that you sacrifice other parts of your life to it. Your ethics, your values, your family, maybe even your soul. The more you grab on to an idol, guess what? The more it grabs on to you, and you're chained to it. Zacchaeus, like Scrooge, I think he probably felt trapped because all his power and money didn't fill the hole that was in his heart. Then he hears this rumor that a rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth will be among the crowds going up to the Passover. So he's heard of this rabbi's teachings, the miracles, the following. He's intrigued by all this, but what catches his attention is the refrain that's been repeated often that Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's even a tax collector named Matthew among his inner circle. How odd could that be? Zacchaeus has just got to see this rabbi, but all he sees are the backs of the people in front of him because he's too short. 
And so he's driven by curiosity, does something really out of character, runs ahead of the parade, climbs a tree, gets into the branches there, precariously perched in the crook of a tree. And you wonder if he got any thought to how ridiculous it looked for this you know, established, wealthy man in the community climbing trees like a little boy. I guess he felt safe up there as long as nobody looked. But guess what? That doesn't last long. He is spotted. The parade stops right under his tree. Jesus looks straight at him. So does everybody else. Imagine for the moment that the entire population of Jericho was staring at Zacchaeus up a tree. And then Jesus, what he does next, shocks everybody. He says, Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. Now, over the years, Zacchaeus has heard his name called many times by different people, sometimes in a good way, and I'm sure sometimes in a not-so-good way. You know, my mom had a way of saying my name that would just put the fear of God into me, you know? But she also had a way of saying my name that just filled me with love and acceptance. So it all depends on how the person says your name. Jesus said in John 10, the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them. So Jesus calls this lost sheep by name, Zacchaeus. The name Zacchaeus actually means a pure one or a righteous one, and until now, those words were never used to describe Zacchaeus. But Jesus can see what Zacchaeus was always meant to be, what God created him to be before he started forging these chains that held him captive. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is more than Zacchaeus bargained for. Jesus wants to go home with him. There's an urgency, a necessity in Jesus' voice as though someone's life even depends on it. The crowd recoils at this. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Talking to a traitor, that's bad enough. Eating with him is worse. Going to his home, that implies acceptance. And what has this scoundrel ever done to deserve the acceptance of Jesus? Well, nothing. Zacchaeus, I think, has baffled himself, but he has a decision to make. Will he welcome Jesus now into his home, or does he do what Scrooge did when Marley confronted him about his evil ways? You see, Scrooge was unrepentant. Scrooge dismissed the whole thing like it was just a bout of indigestion. He says, he says of Marley, you're just a slight disorder of the stomach. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. Sort of how I felt after Thanksgiving meal, I think, you know. In this great line, he says, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. You see, Scrooge is unrepentant. But Zacchaeus, he came down at once to welcome Jesus gladly into his home. And in the ensuing dinner, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Well, you could have heard a pin drop. Once again, walls in Jericho came tumbling down. But they were the walls of Zacchaeus' heart. When Jesus becomes your master, the chains begin to break. Notice that Jesus never told Zacchaeus what to do with his ill-gotten money. He didn't tell him to quit his job. Zacchaeus was still the chief tax collector when Jesus left town. Jesus didn't even tell him how to run his business from then on. All Jesus did was call him by name and come into his home. That simple connection with Jesus broke the stranglehold of his former masters, power and money. That knocked his selfish ego off the throne. That set Zacchaeus free from the inside out. That broke his chain. He was now free to share 
He was free to care. He was free now to be fair with his neighbors. He was free to live up to his name, a pure and righteous one. Even Jesus marveled at the change. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know that last phrase? That's the entire Christmas story. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, we all need an encounter to open our eyes again to the chains that we might be forging, the chains that we are dragging about, the chains which are holding us back and dragging us down. We don't need an encounter with the ghost of Marley, but we do need an encounter with the living presence of Jesus Christ. Today, this Advent, Jesus is calling each one of you by name. He knows you by name. He knows you are his sheep. He wants you to be set free. Don't be like Scrooge. Don't have a closed, cold heart. Open yourself this Advent to all that Jesus might reveal to you about yourself and take you to a new place in your life set free. Because that's what Jesus does. He sets the captives free. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story by Dickens, but we also thank you more for the story of Zacchaeus because it shows us how you break the chains that we have forged in life. May you set each one of us free again, Lord, from our own selves as we have too often pursued things that are not of you. Help us to have repentant hearts, hearts that are quick to turn to you, not like Scrooge, who has to take a beating before he's willing to make a change. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. And even now as we come to this table, Lord, refresh us by your presence. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.